The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, FA Cup. Big day for Chelsea, who win v Luton and lose alleged friend of Putin, while Borough cancels Spurs' trophy hopes. Premier League, Leeds become the men from Marsh and Manchester Derby. Will Pep's rank spank fellow Manx? Plus, Matt v. Jules in the Intertotally and much, much more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And hello, listener. Thursday, March the 3rd. It's been a lot this week and here to make sense of it all. Tom Williams, Adrian Clark, and Charlie Eccleshare. Hello. Hello, James. Hello. Oh, nice. All right. As you just heard, so much for us to discuss uh, today, not least those midweek cup games, which uh, you were quietly thrilled by, uh, Adrian and Tom. Possibly you as well, Charlie, but you weren't, you weren't online when we were having that chat. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought I thought that Luton gave it a real go against Chelsea. Okay, they ran out of energy, I think, in the second half and lacked a bit of quality. But yeah, the Middlesbrough game for me was the the standout. Um, mm. It was it was a Championship side raising their game, playing like a Premier League outfit. And you know what they did to Tottenham Hotspur at the Riverside Stadium was was just remarkably impressive, given how easily Spurs spanked Leeds in the previous mm. game. I was commentating on that game. Spurs were, you know, slicing through Leeds at will. Up against a, a tactically savvy borough, it was very different. It was the worst display of the Conte era, according to one Charles Eccleshare. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this game or Mora, the uh, infamous Europa Conference League defeat, the mitigation for Mura would be that they played an hour of it pretty much with 10 men. Whereas this, as Adrian says, this wasn't um, an upset that, you know, was a backs to the wall kind of, we're just going to ride our luck and pinch what we can on the break. They, they were much the better side. I mean, Spurs probably shaded the first half, but after that, uh, Middlesbrough were, were well on top, I thought. Um and yeah, I mean, it, it, it was, it, it, I think it was just that element of it that really struck me. And that was said straight after the game, that it was the, you know, being so outplayed by a team in the league below, not just, not just beaten by them. And that Josh Coburn goal felt like a proper old school FA Cup moment. <laughs> this like gangly 19 year old Serbu comes on. Here's Crooks. And there is Coburn. And one of the truest strikes I think I've ever seen. I almost ripped the net off and then the, the look on his face as he ran over to the to the fans. And, you know, as we know, the FA Cup is is a, a much maligned competition. But I feel like the last couple of seasons, at least, have, have thrown up some really decent storylines and, and some really decent upsets. And some really decent goals as well. The the uh, Phil Foden to Jack Grealish one in mm. the Peaceborough Man City game. Also the Rom- Roman Perot effort, Oof. rocket really, mm. in uh, Southampton's win over West Ham. The, the results anyway, midweek, fifth round, two games still to play Thursday night. It'll be uh, Everton against Boreham Wood and then next Monday, uh, Nottingham Forest against Huddersfield. But so far, Chelsea have beaten Luton 3-2, coming back from 2-1 down at half-time. Liverpool beat Norwich 2-1. That's the fourth time they've beaten them this season. Stay down, Canaries. Saints... Uh, 3-1 winners against West Ham. Borough put out Spurs. 
having previously put out Man United, of course. Crystal Palace booked a place in the quarterfinals with a 2-1 win over Stoke and Man City beat Peterborough 2-0. Right. Now, as mentioned at the top, Wednesday was a busy one for Chelsea. A 3-2 victory at Kenilworth Road with Timo Werner and uh, Romelu Lukaku turning around that uh, 2-1 half-time deficit. Chelsea reaching the quarterfinals for the third season in a row. Off the field, meanwhile, owner Roman Abramovich announcing his decision to sell the club after almost 19 years at the helm. Sale of the club will not be fast-tracked, says the announcement, but will follow due process. I will not be asking for any loans to be repaid. There's talk as well of any profits from the sale going to help uh, Ukraine. Uh, to talk about that and more, the Athletics' Adam Crafton now joins us. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. First of all, why? We don't know um, officially in that, you know, he's not given a clear reason um, other than that he wants to, he says he wants to, do, you know, act in the best interests of Chelsea Football Club. Um, we also know that he doesn't take questions. We know that Chelsea's directors don't take questions. Um, we know the only person who is taking questions is Thomas Tuchel, um, who clearly doesn't have any answers to, to what's happening at the moment. Um, in a broader sense, we, we know there was a Russian invasion of Ukraine that started last Thursday and very quickly MPs were standing up in, British, in the British Parliament and naming Roman Abramovich as one of the individuals, one of the very successful, wealthy Russian individuals who should be sanctioned um, due to uh, purported links that he may have to the Kremlin. And, you know, these are links that have been always denied by Chelsea, always denied by spokespeople of Abramovich. Um, but these calls have got louder and louder. Um, on Monday, um, Boris Johnson took a question from a Ukrainian journalist um, at a press conference who was almost in tears, naming Roman Abramovich, asking why he hadn't been sanctioned. Um, then you have Prime Minister's questions where the Labour leader Keir Starmer stands up and asks why uh, Abramovich has not yet been sanctioned. And, and what we know about Abramovich is that he is he's almost this symbol of London grad. So regardless of whatever his, uh, and by London grad, I mean, I suppose, Russian money in the UK, you know, he's the most famous person that, you know, famous Russian that we would associate with the UK because of his ownership of Chelsea Football Club. Um, and then, you know, there's two big statements over the weekend. Saturday night, Abramovich drops a statement, tries to transfer the stewardship of the club to the to the charity that runs the foundation. By Sunday afternoon, it had become very clear that the six trustees, you know, one of which was the women's team manager, Emma Hayes, the other was an anti-discrimination campaigner, Piara Power. They were looking at it and just saying, don't think so, not for me, essentially. Um, you know, to be to be doing this at this moment, we're going to need a lot more information. They'd only found out about it about an hour or so before the actual statement dropped on the Chelsea website. We then had a statement on Sunday morning on the Chelsea website talking about a conflict in Ukraine, not referring to a Russian invasion, not referring to any to Russia at all, I don't think, um, in that statement. So that's been the, the, the momentum since then has been towards Abramovich may receive sanctions from either the British government, European government or US government. Those sanctions still haven't come in at the point we talk um, and they may not come in. But there was a political momentum aligned with this continued 
barbarity in Ukraine that was making it really sort of completely unsustainable for Abramovich to to, to not act. And I think that's why on um, Wednesday night, the statement dropped on Chelsea's website to say that that he's ready to sell the club and that there will be a sales process. Um, I mean, you mentioned that there'll be a foundation set up for victims of the war in Ukraine. He's still not made clear who will run that foundation, um, why a foundation needs to be set up when there's lots of charities, established international charities that could just take the money as it is, where we would know for sure how that's being spent, where that's going. He's not made clear whether that will be going to Russian victims of Ukraine or Ukrainian victims of of what's going on there at the moment. So there's a lot of things we don't have answers to. There's a lot of things that would be very helpful um, if he took some questions, um, but that's where we are. Okay. There'll be a lot of Chelsea fans who are saying, well, why aren't you discussing what a great owner he's been? But that's not really what uh, today's discussion is about. And, and I think there are bigger issues behind Abramovich, whatever his success with the club, uh, given the situation in Ukraine and the suffering of the people uh, there. Can I ask, uh, do you know, Adam, What's the? is there any equivalent situation for Alistair Usmanov at Everton, who has now been sanctioned by mm. the EU? Is there a suggestion that there might be a similar step away from, from Everton? Well, I mean... Alisher Usmanov is not a shareholder of Everton, so he doesn't have anything to step away from okay. officially. What What is the case is that the owner of Everton, Farhad Mashiri, is the chair of Usmanov's fund. Um, but Usmanov himself is not a shareholder of Everton. What we do know, however, is that Usmanov-linked companies, USM, um, Megafon, Yotta are prominent Everton sponsors. I'd estimate probably between 15 to 20 million pounds a year that Everton make via training ground sponsorship, kit deals for the women's team, things like that. And then also Usmanov has the first right of refusal, which he's paid 30 million pounds for, um, to have the naming rights for Everton's new stadium. So at a minimum level, Everton stand to lose quite a lot of money from sponsorship. And Everton are one of those teams over the last few years who have spent an absolute fortune trying to compete on the pitch, often pretty poorly. Um, but it leaves them in this very, very difficult situation where they're trying to fulfil financial fair play and profit and sustainability regulations. And that sponsorship money is absolutely essential for them to comply. So that's going to be an issue the other issue is, um, you know, whether Farhad Mashiri, as you know, the chair of this fund, chooses to step away from the fund in some way. Yeah, I just wanted to ask Adam um, Abramovich, sort of in his statement, mentioned that he'd like to one last time to say goodbye to all the fans in person. Mm-hmm. It's something I just can't see ever happening. It's going to be a, a sort of quiet exit, and that's that's it, surely. Well, I mean, there certainly seems to be a willingness from Chelsea fans and John Terry and Jason Cundy um, are all lining up for the leaving party. Um, So I think, you know, I'm sure if it is possible, Chelsea would like to make that happen. Um, There is a challenge in that, you know, Roman Abramovich withdrew his visa application, his investor visa in 2018 amid diplomatic tensions between Russia and, and, and the UK. He's only been back a couple of times as far as I'm aware he came back on one occasion um, where he was basically part of the Israeli Prime Minister's entourage um, on a Holocaust memorial occasion um, I don't think he's been back to Stamford Bridge <sighs> Look, I think it would be a pretty farcical situation if he is to be sanctioned 
if you were then to have him on the pitch at Stamford Bridge getting a standing ovation. Um, but we've seen... Have we seen more ridiculous things in football? I'm not sure. Have we? I don't know. Have we? It's mm. a good question. <laughs> I mean, we've just had celebrating the Saudi, you know, welcoming right. our brave Saudi overlords yeah, yeah. at St. Yeah. James's Park. Yeah. Have you been surprised, Adam, with the reaction sort of from... Uh, I don't know. The, it, he, it feels like in by lots of people, he is being celebrated and venerated as this kind of, you know, he came with a few billion pounds and a dream, and he, look what he achieved. Kind of, you know, there's been almost this like romanticizing of of what Abramovich has done. Yeah, I, I think there has been. Look, I think if you are a Chelsea fan, and particularly if you've grown up over the last fifteen years, this guy has made you really happy. And the other thing is because because of the nature of, of the, the moment we're at where sanctions haven't been imposed yet, we don't actually know what Abramovich has done, if anything. You know, we've not been provided with evidence um, which is legally substantiated in terms of sanctions at the moment. So some Chelsea fans will be looking at it and just thinking, well, you know, you, Russia's gone to war, Putin's gone to war, this is just a successful Russian businessman. And that's what Chelsea would like their fans mm. to be thinking. And that is a message that they have for a very long time infiltrated into their fan base. It's a message that, that has been, I think, accepted by everybody. Since Abramovich arrived, he was the super wealthy guy who transformed a club and pretty much the Premier League as well. And everyone was happy for whatever reason to run with that as a story. You would get some mentions, but peripherally, of other things that his money was financing or other links that he would have. But I can understand, while I don't take this view, but I can understand why Chelsea fans and Chelsea players who have some personal contact with him would go, hang on, for the last 15 years or 19 years, sorry, he's been this figure and now you want us to suddenly pitch 180 because you're all doing that because it's now okay to say other stuff. I do get why they might feel that's hypocritical. Like all these things, life is complicated. There are positive aspects to it. He's done a load of campaigning against anti-Semitism, which has been which has been you know, really impressive at times. He has put a load of money into local projects in Chelsea, in, in, in the area, in the same way that you know, Manchester City would say their owners have and that the Newcastle owners will say they have. And you know, there is an argument he has improved people's lives in some way. Um, at the same time, we see the footage from Ukraine, we see the images from Ukraine, and we see that Roman Abramovich, you know, you have MPs calling for sanctions. And it's a very, 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 very difficult thing, I think, for people who just go along on a Saturday to watch their team as an escape to, to get their head round. And, and the final thing is, on Monday, his spokesperson was saying that he'd actually been invited by Ukraine, by some Ukrainian mm. officials, it wasn't very clear who, um, it was a Ukrainian actor that vouched for it, to help broker peace talks in Belarus between Ukraine and Russia. And this was after years of us being told that Abramovich is a person, you know, without any political connections, without any political links. And all of a sudden he was being contacted by Ukrainian actors to, to act as a, as a mediator. Um, so it was, it, I can completely understand why Chelsea supporters or anyone would look at this and just be like, what the f***? What is going on? And, and it's really difficult to get your head around. Adam, whatever happens with the sale and Chelsea, the bigger issue is is what's happening to the people in Ukraine at the moment. And you did a remarkable piece this week speaking with various people from the football community there 
uh, whose experiences reflect the horrors being faced by so many millions from every walk of life. Yeah, and um, I think that's yeah. Once once you actually have those conversations, the idea of just sort of returning, you know, in your head to this to worrying about what's going to happen to this really rich dude um, and his billions and whether he's going to lose two billion or instead of thirteen billion um, becomes quite difficult. And however talented you are, however famous you are, however privileged you might have been in Ukraine a week ago is now absolutely irrelevant. You know, you have Shakhtar Donetsk footballers, players who were playing against Real Madrid and Inter Milan five months ago, 70 caps for Ukraine, Taras Stepanenko, who I was speaking to, his wife and kids were in a basement that they'd converted into a bomb shelter for, for two days. And they then drove through the night, couldn't use any main roads, were having to go all around the villages. He was saying, you know, I, I didn't even know these roads. I was just guessing as he was trying to drive southwest out of Kiev um, to an area more towards the, the, the western borders, um, which were a little bit safer at the moment with a family friend. And, you know, you're, you're doing these interviews with, you hear their kids in the background in, in these basements. Um, you hear, you know, basically bombardments going off in the distance. And, and it's just horrific. It's exactly, you know, what we are watching on the news is what is happening. It's the truth. And... Um, and, and yeah, it's, um, yeah, there's been, I mean, there's been some amazing stuff that's been done as well, you know, particularly by the Ukrainian Football Federation. They had a lot of international footballers, Brazilians, uh, Spaniards, Italians that, that were trapped when, when the bomb started because the Ukrainian, the Ukrainian league season hadn't been suspended before the, before the invasion started. There was a lot of people who thought that it should have been because there was a lot of intelligence to say that this invasion was coming, but it hadn't been. And, you know, you could say, to the credit, I suppose, of the international players, a lot of them had decided to stay until the end with their Ukrainian counterparts saying, you know, we're going to, we're going to stick this out until we really have to. But it left, you know, there were 70 strong group of Shakhtar and Dynamo Kiev players in the Opera Hotel in Kiev on Thursday morning, Friday night with babies running out of food, running out of nappies. Um, And eventually between UEFA and a federation, they got them, um, they got them out towards the Romanian border. Um, you know, other players had it far more difficult. Three Brazilians from Zoya Luhansk, one of them is 18 years old, had gone to Ukraine, not earning that much money to try and get a break in Europe and finds himself walking 50 kilometres through a war, basically through a war scene to try and get towards the border. I mean, it's abs- and he was with a teammate who's, who was carrying his kid on his back. I mean, it's, it's absolutely mm-hmm. horrific. And I don't know, I struggle really to, um, to to say much more than that other than, yeah. Mm. Well, those those are the ones who got out. There are other yeah. others from all walks of life, of course, who are still there. And I thought very much uh, with them. Adam, thank you so much. Uh, the, the piece is, is, is really worth reading. It's up on uh, The Athletic at the moment. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll speak to you again soon, I hope. Thank you. So, the FA Cup. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about Spurs. Uh, Adrian, tell us about the extraordinary Chris Wilder's borough. Oh, they were awesome, weren't they? They, they played with so much confidence, uh, comfort on the ball. And that is down to coaching. 
he has he has given the players belief that they can can play in this quite sophisticated way, and he's done it in a matter of weeks. Really, he's, he's not been there too long, Chris Wilder, and, and just the fluency of their passing, their movement, the confidence of the players was was great to see. I thought that the right back Isaiah Jones, who's been superb all season, really. He he would walk into the Tottenham side, wouldn't he? I mean, he would, and so would Jed Spence. They have two right backs who would walk into the uh, absolutely, into the absolutely, and and they, they could have had more goals. Obviously, a couple of you know Giltes chances from Crooks and and Housen from corners. It was it was brilliant from them, but you have to say, weak minded from Tottenham. Yeah, it was one of those just on Wilder as well. I was at the game, and you do get a feeling of something building sometimes you know at, at these kind of matches and it does feel like they're all so behind that team they, the momentum was really building throughout throughout that game and you, you feel in a in a sort of wider sense as well but yeah I mean but like Housen summed it up really I mean he his attitude and you know we, we in the age of data analytics whatever we try not to talk about these intangibles too much but it did feel like he his attitude really set the tone and I'm, I think the Spurs midfield were a bit knackered. The other two were injured, so they had to play Winks and Hoybier again. And those they just they didn't look like they had the legs for it. But also, they must. It felt like their hearts must have sank quite early on when they were like, "Housen is not going to give us a moment's rest tonight. He's just on us every single time." And he got away with a pretty meaty tackle early on that didn't get a booking for. And I think that just gave him even greater license to say, "Go on, go and be an absolute pain." And he played really well. Nearly scored as well. Um, but yeah, very impressed with him and, and the team's attitude overall. Charlie, as someone that follows Spurs closely, do you do you think that Tottenham now and in the last few decades, do you think that, that part of this issue where they can't seem to get you know, climb that mountain and win the trophy, you think it's that they just that they accept finishing second best is, is okay? It feels to me as if like the, the truly elite teams, the ones that are gobbling up all the trophies, they they just have this fear of losing, of finishing mm. second best. And I just don't get that impression with the culture at Tottenham Hotspur. It's almost an acceptance that, that, that they'll they'll come close, but I mean, have we got enough time on this podcast to try and explain <laughs> what's wrong with Tottenham Hotspur? I suspect that- perhaps not. <laughs> <laughs> that is a big question. But that, that tension, what you're describing, Adrian, as well, is what uh, Conte has walked into and I think is he's desperately trying to change that. He's actually spoken about that very issue and saying that, you know, he the atmosphere he wants to create and that he's created at his former clubs is where a loss is the mood should be horrific for the days after. You know, you should be absolutely raging about it. Um and, you know, he said he hasn't got that impression. And it was really funny after after one of the defeats. I think it was Burnley, maybe. All the, the Spurs, you know, put up the training picks or whatever. And, and there was not a single one of them smiling. It was all, you know, looking serious and really sad and moody and training. And you do wonder if it was this was an attempt to kind of show Conte that, yeah, we're, we're on board with this messaging, that this is unacceptable. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say, it feels like every time I come on this, it's uh, on this podcast, it's, off the back of a Spurs defeat but then I was thinking I come on basically every other week and they lose literally every other game so it's it's actually not really that surprising It's 13 fixtures in all competitions in which they've almost perfectly alternated between wins and losses wins and losses there was one little stretch in the middle where they did two defeats in a row just to kind of spice life up as Adrian mentions it is another season without silverware 2008 League Cup is the last trophy they won if Duncan were here he'd mentioned that 
this summer. Their last title will be closer to the 1800s than it is to today, which is a remarkable statistic. However, silver lining time, in terms of their top four challenge, this could be a boost because now it's only mm. training ground with Conte preparing for each game and the next one being Everton on Monday night. Well, yeah, this is this is Conte, what he's sort of staked his reputation on is that, you know, these weeks on the training pitch with him are so valuable and the mind obviously goes back to that 16-17 season with Chelsea where they weren't in Europe and, and they were able to have these full weeks and it worked out really well. There's always been the sense with him that that's, you know, they, they've never he's never been particularly good in European competition and the feeling's been that he's, you know, been very good uh, w- with kind of the three weeks, but juggling a lot of competitions has never been that easy. So, yeah, maybe it will be a benefit, but you know the side issue, and someone raised this, and I'd be interested to get your guys' thoughts. Is you know Kane will go another season without winning a trophy, and is there anyone in modern football in the era of stratification where the same teams tend to win the trophies? Anyone in modern football that's close to Kane for having not won? You know, for someone of his ability, not winning a trophy. I mean, it is ex- obviously it was asked probably in a slightly trolley way, but it is quite an interesting thought. I mean, it is crazy that he hasn't won anything as he approaches 29 I mean the only player who comes to mind is Alan Shearer but then he of course won but he the did Premier win League a title very early yeah. in his career so he you know you, you couldn't hit him with a never won a, a trophy stick um, and I think you feel like the, the longer Kane stays at Spurs and the more goals he scores and, and, and the, the further he climbs the various all-time records tables you know does does he end up reaching a tipping point um where just committing to being a Tottenham legend and and breaking every record at the club and overhauling Shearer's Premier League goal scoring record becomes uh, as valid an objective as as winning silverware it it obviously isn't at the moment because we know you know he he, he wanted to leave the club last summer but i just wonder given the difficulties he's had extracting himself from the club and and you know being tied to the contract that he's tied to will we get to a point if he's still there in the next two or three years which is is perhaps not all that likely you know given the way things are going will he at some point embrace that kind of you know one club man hero status but yeah, I, I suspect if you were if you were to pre- present him with a choice today, uh, he'd, he'd probably go for something a bit more exciting. Just checking, is top four still a trophy or, or, or not? It, it would feel like one. It would right. feel like one. I think Wenger was ahead of the curve with that. I mean, he was. You know, he, he, as with so many things, he was mocked. But I mean, the only the only comparable player to Kane a lot of people have put forward is Son Heung Min. <laughs> which yeah. uh, you know, as, as someone who's, uh, which you know, you can say, doesn't that sum Spurs up? But yeah, it's now or never. He, he won't, he won't get that big move beyond this summer. It, it has to be this summer. Then I think he has to reconcile himself, Harry Kane, that he just will be a, a Tottenham legend, um, and, and and smash all the all the records. The one thing I would say about Kane is that I don't think he is going to age as quickly as some player's age Mm. uh, and particularly as some striker's age because he's never been quick Mm. there is a kind of Teddy Sheringham element to his game which means that the cane we see five years from now shouldn't look too different to to the cane we see today so you know it's not beyond the realms of possibility that he he spends another couple of years at Spurs maybe sees out his contract and still gets a big move because potential suitors won't look at him and think oh well we should have got him when he was 22 Mm. 23 when he was leaving centre-backs for dead because that never happened 
five years from now when we'll probably still be having this conversation about <laughs> Kane and Spurs. But Charlie, finish us off for now with one last point. Well, I was just going to... It's funny Tom brings up Sheringham because I was going to bring him up as an example. He moved to United when he was 31 and won everything. Kane will be 31 or just turning 31 when his uh, contract expires. So it is possible he can have both of these things. He can more or less achieve everything. You know, he can potentially break the you know Tottenham goal-scoring record in the next couple of years and then move to one of the trophy hoovering up clubs a, mm. as he turns 31 and then have a coda to his career where he does get the honours he, he wants because it's, right. going to be, it's going to be another summer where it's not easy to get the move he wants. Very quickly, on commentary, because I did commentary in the Leeds Spurs game where Kane was just irresistible. And, in, and during the course of that commentary, I, I sort of said, I threw it out there, has there been a better playmaking centre-forward than Harry Kane? I mean, he, he's got he's like Shearer and Sheringham yep. rolled into one, isn't he? It's, he's a remarkable player. He certainly is, Adrian. He certainly is. Now, in other non-Harry Kane-related news, who else saw what? The Foden-Grealish goal was ridiculous, no? Oh, yeah. I mean, that first touch from Grealish, proper <laughs> Birmingham Baggio stuff. And I also feel like it was it was one of the first real moments that he's given us in a City shirt. He scored a really nice goal in the Champions League group phase, didn't he, against Leipzig, I think, where he picked it up on the left and, and drove in and, and scored. But, you know, particularly given uh, the, the huge transfer fee and all the expectation that there was around Grealish in the summer, we haven't had that many moments like that. But, yeah, certainly seeing him score goals like that um, will we'll do, we'll do him good and, you know, just sort of... Shows that he is, you know, he is being effective, even if he isn't quite hitting the heights that that people might have expected of him. And that was a gorgeous goal. It doesn't. Yeah. I don't think you get any better touches than that. Riyad Mahrez also scoring in that game. That's his nineteenth of the season, which makes this his highest scoring campaign in in England. Crystal Palace with a two one victory against Stoke. Intriguingly, Patrick Vieira is now unbeaten in his last eighteen games in the FA Cup as a player and manager. How about Saints, though? That 3-1 win over West Ham. Mentioned the Romain Perot rocket. Also, uh, Breuer's goal pretty good, the the third. And Saints continue to look like a team with quite a bit of momentum uh, behind them. Yeah, and despite the fact that Ralph Hasenhutl made nine changes to, mm. to the starting eleven, which is which is pretty remarkable. And, and West Ham were pretty much full strength. Um, and as it happened, uh, Hasenhutl brought on a, a few of his typical starters towards the end. So, for example, you know, Broya came off the bench and, and scored that lovely goal. But yeah, I think it shows how healthy the dynamic is at Southampton that they can they can shuffle the pack to that extent and still produce performances like that. I mean, that Roman Perrault goal was an absolute beauty. Squares it across the West Ham half to Perrault. This time he's going to hit it! Oh, my goodness me! Like Stuart Armstrong in the fourth round... He has smashed a beauty from outside the box, on the angle, past Ariola. He's not starting at the moment because they've moved Kyle Walker-Peters over to the left to accommodate um, Tina Livramento on the right-hand side. But yeah, Saints really flying. Broy is a player, James. He really is. He yeah, This season, I think strikers have struggled in general. I think the, the attacking midfielders or wide forwards have been the, the stars of the show. As a centre-forward, I think he's got incredible... Potential, I really do. I did, I did some analysis on him recently. And one of the stats that really caught my eye, because he's been dipping in and out of the team, he's not had that much game time, Breuer. 
No one had scored up until I think last weekend. No one had scored more right-footed goals per ninety minutes than Breuer in the Premier League this season, which I wow. thought was a was a real sign of of how deadly he has potential to be. Intriguing. Well, the uh, Southampton put West Ham out. They've still got the Europa League to play for. They drew Sevilla. Uh, serial winners of this tournament as you may have seen in the uh, Europa League last 16 that'll be coming up next week before that West Ham have Liverpool who had another win over Norwich slightly more measured one this time just 2-1 both of the goals coming from Takami Minamino who's got insane stats actually seven goals in eight I think the commentator was saying on Wednesday night anyway as Jurgen Klopp takes Liverpool to the FA Cup quarterfinals for the first time Everton Boreham Wood is tonight with the draw for the quarterfinals just before kickoff there. And then Monday, it's Nottingham Forest against Huddersfield. Next up, we'll be moving on to the Premier League weekend. So, Mr. Raniak, what's troubling you? Well, we've got a, a leak in the dressing room, Doctor. Right, and you want to find out who it is? No, no, I just can't find a good plumber. Sometimes there's only so much you can do. But with Paddy Power, our offers are watertight. So this weekend, get money back as a free bet if one leg of your 4 plus 4 bet builder lets you down. Paddy Power. Pre-match online bet builder bets only. Minards 1 to 5 per leg. Max free bet £10 per day. 7-day free bet expiry. Excludes enhanced match odds. Eligibility restrictions and T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Intertotally is on the way. Stand by for a fat slice of Matt Davis-Adams against Julian Laurence. Very exciting uh, confrontation there. Totally Football League show is out with you on a Thursday talking about all sorts of things, including Steve Bruce's start at West Brom, which hasn't been great. One point from five games, one goal in five games. And their chances of finishing top six, not looking great. Also, just to flag up our Totally Football Show live, which will be in Manchester at the Lowry Theatre on the 19th of April. If you wish to be there, head to thelowry.com and buy a ticket. Premier League this weekend. Woof. Saturday's early kickoff sees Leicester host Leeds. Jesse Marsh's first game in charge of the Yorkshire club, Leicester, who were 2-0 winners over Burnley on Tuesday, with Jamie Vardy back on the score sheet. Crikey. Three o'clock on Saturday, Burnley host Chelsea, Villa face Saints, Newcastle get a visit from Brighton, Wolves take on Crystal Palace, and there's a huge six-pointer thing between uh, Norwich, who are defending their bottom three status against plummeting relegation wannabes Brentford. Tea time, Liverpool-West Ham, two games on Sunday, Watford-Arsenal, and yes, Manchester City against Manchester United before on Monday the round concludes with Spurs-Everton. All games, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, will feature a show of solidarity with Ukraine, say the Premier League. All right, we're going to begin with the lunchtime kickoff. Leicester leads. Tweet of the week, I would suggest, comes from Colin Miller, who says, beware the ideas of Marsh. <laughs> 
Jesse Marsh's first game in charge of Leeds, a club who conceded a record 20 goals in February, taking just one point from five matches. What will the arrival of the American bring? Well, let's hear from someone who saw him work his magic at Red Bull Salzburg, Lee Wingate from the other Bundesliga podcast. Lee, first of all, how excited are you at seeing how Jesse Marsh gets on in the Premier League at Leeds? Very much so. I mean, his time in Salzburg was hugely successful. He was a very popular guy here. He won the double, which is pretty much the bare minimum in Austria when you're at Salzburg. That's what's expected on the domestic scene. Perhaps he, he slightly underachieved in Europe and then he's had a bit of a tough time at Leipzig recently, but he's a big believer in himself. He's a staunch believer in his own philosophy and I think he'll back himself to get Leeds out of trouble. Mm, all right. Uh, other factors may be in play, though, as regards Leeds and trouble and all that kind of thing. It didn't work out well this season with, with Bielsa. To what extent do you think the problems that he had at Leipzig may reoccur at Leeds? Well, I think one of the main problems he had at Leipzig was he came in after someone who was hugely successful, Julian Nagelsmann. And that is, of course, the case here with Bielsa. Uh, Nagelsmann had introduced this real possession-based style of football. He'd come away sort of from the traditional Red Bull high press. And Jesse came in and I think really tried to implement that um, pressing style of football that he favours. And I think that, you know, the players struggled a little bit with that. Some interviews with uh, Peter Galashi, the goalkeeper I read, he said, you know, we were trying to do what the coach wanted, but instinctively we'd been drilled to play another way. Hmm. So... He's going to have to go in and really try and get his message across. And I actually see a bit of a parallel in that situation that he had at Leipzig and what he might face at Leeds, because I know Bielsa was a big believer in man marking and Jesse prefers to play zonal. So he's going to have to make sure that he goes in and really gets that message across much more quickly than he did at Leipzig, where, of course, he, he only lasted four months in the end. Mm, absolutely. Tactically, he's an attacking coach. In terms of the defensive issues that Leeds have had, do you see that being helped much by his appointment? He is a very attacking coach. I mean, most English football fans will remember that 4-3 at Anfield where his expletive-laden half-time team talk sort of stole the show. Yeah, this is a Champions League spiel. We must in Cooper League off the blocks and get stuck in with Druk. That is pretty much Jesse and microcosm, really. His teams concede a lot of goals and score a lot of goals. That's the That was the same at Salzburg, uh, I think, uh, last season when Jesse was there. At this stage of the season, Salzburg had conceded uh, twice as many goals as they have this season. So I think his defensive vulnerabilities are, are kind of, I'd say, his shortcoming and what I'd be worried about with Leeds. You know, I, I don't follow the Premier League and Leeds all that closely, but I do know that they've been shipping a lot of goals recently and mm. to bring in then an, an ultra-attacking coach, which I think Jesse is, that may be a, a bit of a risk. Right, but the half-time team talk should be more lively. Uh, yeah, they should be. And as well, um, I think Jesse will benefit from the fact that he's actually going to be speaking his mother tongue. This will be the first time he's done that in quite some time because he came to... Uh, Austria and then Germany and really tried to to speak German every occasion, something that, that really endeared him to the fans here. Uh, at least one thing he's got going for him now is that he's going to be speaking English on a regular basis. 
Thoughts? Are you optimistic? Uh, another Bradley? Or is everyone doing him a disservice just because he's an American? I mean, I think there's an argument to be made that succeeding Marcelo Bielsa is one of the, if not the most difficult jobs in football um, because his approach to uh, the game is is so unique. Uh, and to unpick uh, those three and a half years of very unique Bielsa coaching, you know, the man marking and all the rest of it, is going to be very, very difficult. Um, plus, you've got the fact that, that Bielsa, although, you know, he left with, with Leeds in a relegation dogfight, is a complete hero and remains worshipped by, by Leeds supporters. Um, so you've got the kind of the difficulties on the playing side, you've got the kind of difficulties of, of succeeding someone who is held in such high esteem, and the fact he's an American as well. Um, and as, as, you know, poor old Bob Bradley can testify, Americans talking about football is not something that, for, for some baffling reason, the football fans of the United Kingdom seem ready to accept and and Jesse March is someone who who likes to talk about football who has who has very clear ideas about the game and and, and is a great communicator um and, and that will be a real contrast to Bielsa because you know we never I feel like we never really heard from Bielsa because he was always speaking through a, an interpreter and he was mm. always gazing at his shoes during his post-match interviews it, it, it was like he kind of you know he was here for as long as he was but he left without us really knowing him and and Leeds are now going to find themselves with a manager who is much more sort of audible you know in, in contrast to Bielsa so it's it's a tricky one and it, I, it will be fascinating to see how he goes about the challenge of trying to kind of unbeelsify Leeds. How how much can he expect to even unbeelsify them between now and the end of the season, or does he have to try and find some kind of halfway house? I, I don't think he has to rip it up and start again because his own ideals are quite similar to Marcelo Bielsa in terms of like playing on the transitions and working hard from the front and whatnot. You know, they, his teams have always been really ferocious in their in their work rate, so he will inherit a dressing room that that are on board with that straight away because it's what they're used to. I think it's as simple as ditching this man-to-man marking nonsense. It was it was a utter car how, crash. How easy Tottenham. is that for players, Adrian? Oh, players hate it. Players hate doing man-to-man. In, in training sessions, uh, many of the clubs I was with, the coach would sometimes say for 10, 15, 20 minutes, right, you two, man-to-man, you two, man-to-man. And it would be seen as a punishment. <laughs> because you were basically it was mano mano and it was like this guy's going to run me everywhere I don't want to go and I'm going to try to do the same to him and that was you know it was, it was horrendous really unenjoyable um so I think that that the players will be okay with 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 ditching that not least because they were getting it so wrong I mean Spurs I mean Son just took the right back into the middle of the pitch just to leave the space for Cessna. It was, it was just so basic. And if the Spurs player was quicker than the Leeds winger that was being asked to track back, they had no chance. And, and Spurs could have scored eight eight or nine goals in that game. I, I think they had to they had to make that change. It was just it was just broken. Hmm. You know, you know, there was talk with Bielsa from some cause of, you know, just get him out, get a safe pair of hands in to steer them to relegation. As as if you were talking about a group of underachieving star players I mean we're talking about largely championship level players or at least they were before Bielsa came in so I'll be very interested to see what happens when he's not there whether those improvements they made have been sustainable as individuals or whether it was about having this system having this chemistry that worked perfectly um Hmm. 
it's intriguing as well from Leeds' point of view that having made that decision to make the change, they didn't go with what you might term a safe pair of hands. They've, they've gone with what essentially mm. is another bold experiment, a, a manager who hasn't got Premier League experience and is coming from a particularly unsuccessful stint at a, at a big club in, in Germany. Tom? Yeah, and just on Leicester, I think that win at Burnley in, in midweek was was a very significant one um, in that it was most notably their first league win of the year, um, which is, is both uh, an indication of how poor their form has been and how many games they've had uh, called off. And, you know, a Burnley team who had been on what looked like a, a bit of a, a mini revival and, you know, we've seen how... How uh, how a few opposing teams have, have struggled at, at, at Turf more in recent weeks, not to uh, just be gratuitously bashing Tottenham at every opportunity. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I think Jamie Vardy being back is, is is big for them. They've got other players coming back from injury. James Madison is in a great run of form. They've got lots of games in hand to, to get through. So um, yeah, it feels like Leicester for the first time in a little while have got a little bit of a bit of useful momentum behind them. Yeah, Harvey Barnes was magnificent the other night against uh, mm-hmm. against Burnley as well. Now, Nick Pope kept the score down. So it was a really impressive actually. And you know what? Even though their results have been very average, Leicester. Of late, I think they've they've been quite unlucky. The West Ham mm. game, they they should have won that. The Spurs Wolves game, game yeah, the win. Wolves game, they were better than Wolves. I, I think they've left a few points sort of mm. out there on the pitch, really. So I see quite a lot of positives. This is a really hard start for Jesse Marsh uh, and Leeds United. They are in trouble because mm. they can't defend. And if you if you struggle to defend, and you're always leaking goals, then then you're not going to win very very many games. Are you? Mm. Very true indeed. Uh, Leeds two points from the bottom three. Burnley in 18th have a game in hand on them. Burnley this weekend have a visit from Chelsea to Turf Moor. Their recent record, Claret's not been bad. They only lost, well, that, that Leicester loss was only their second in their last eight games. And of course, against Chelsea, they drew 1 1 at Stamford Bridge in November. Hmm. Mm. Bit of a smash and grab, that, but yeah. It was a massive smash and grab, wasn't it? Yeah. From, from that collection. Other- other sides down the bottom, Watford host Arsenal, who've won three games in a row, and they'll have had 10 days off by the time they go to Vicarage Road. Uh, Everton, who are one point off the drop, but do have a couple of games in hand, are at Spurs on Monday. The key game this weekend down the bottom is probably Norwich-Brentford. Brentford, who are three points off the bottom three, but have played more games than any of the sides in the bottom half. They've only picked up one point from the last 24 available haven't won in their last nine away games in the Premier League. Daniel's story on Monday suggesting that were they to lose this game, we could see them make a change, you know? Oh, mm. should also mention, did you remember when Norwich couldn't win a game? Who was the first team they finally got a victory against? Oh, oh my word, it was Brentford. <laughs> Daniel Farker's sort of farewell match, mm. wasn't it, as mm. well, yeah? Oh, the Bees are in trouble. I saw them at Emirates recently and, yeah, they're, they're kind of... They don't look a goal threat. They're facing a lot of shots. In the last two games, they've faced 50 shots. <laughs> 71 in their last four. Can they complete a century this weekend? <laughs> wow, it wouldn't surprise me. Well, probably bat. not against Norwich. <laughs> I just think that Good there point. may be... You, you talk about promoted teams having second season syndromes. I think with Brentford, they're suffering the second half of the season syndrome. Which is like Hull. Exactly. Like Blackpool. opponents have had a look at them. Blackpool, yeah. And they're quick, they're powerful, they're really good in the air, they throw balls into the box, they're awkward. But 
if you can suss that out, mm. what what have they got? And and the answer is they they're kind of not not master of anything really. I was looking at some of the stats. You know, they're not a possession team. They've had I think sixteen build up attacks, which is the second lowest behind Burnley. So you think, well, they must be a counter attacking side. Well, no, they've had I think ten shots from from counter attacks all season, which is sort of among the lowest. So yeah, they, they're sort of caught betwixt and between. I think they they. In my opinion, they need more of the ball. Just get on the if ball. If only they had some stats gurus at the club who could, you know, really get into <laughs> yeah. those numbers. What they might have, what they might have, is Christian Eriksen exactly. taking a bigger, a and bigger role in the game this weekend away at Carrow Road. But sorry, Tom. Yeah, and just to say, I mean, obviously you've got Eriksen coming in, who you'd expect will have a positive impact. And also, Ivan Tony is now back fit, having missed mm. a few games with a calf injury, and he is so key to the way they play and you know there are lots of other decent attacking players at Brentford but no one is as vital to the way they play as Tony even if he hasn't scored anything like as many goals as he scored last season in the championship so you know with Ericsson now available with Tony back that that does give them uh, reason for for some optimism but yeah I think if if they were to lose this game at Norwich who've you know who've kind of slumped back into into their travails after a, a mini revival uh, it, it will start to look quite serious right call it for us Tom Brentford to get the the, the victory that's going to kick start their their recovery for all <laughs> for all <laughs> I was at this game last year when it was a championship sort of top of the table six points with no one there apart from the media team and Norwich won it one nil but it was um yeah it was a very tight game Brindier was brilliant but yeah I don't, I think it's going to be low scoring I don't think it's going to be <laughs> well you heard it here first folks <laughs> <laughs> a couple of other games we could probably write off as mid-table clashes may well prove to be exciting but in terms of significance at either end of the table limited Newcastle Brighton and Newcastle delighted probably now to be in that category they've never beaten the Seagulls in the Premier League intriguingly in nine meetings although Brighton have had three defeats in a row also Wolves taking on Crystal Palace Uh, three of Palace's four wins since the turn of the year have come in the FA Cup and Aston Villa facing Southampton all those games at three o'clock on Saturday. On Sunday at 4.30, it's a Manchester derby, so we'll talk about that next. Keep listening for Matt Davis-Adams versus Julien Laurent in the Intertotally Cup, sponsored by Paddy Power. And we apologise for any bad language you may hear. We're sponsored for this episode of The Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally.
We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which is excellent news for Everton fans when they make their Lampardian transition from serious to funny to serious once again. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. Online exclusives and T's and C's apply. Manchester Derby and Liverpool West Ham. Which one are you more excited about, Charlie Eccleshire? Of those two games, um, yes. the Manchester derby. Are you? Yeah, I, th- I feel like West Ham are really running out of steam. So I don't know how, um, well, maybe famous last words, but I'd imagine Liverpool would win that reasonably comfortably. Mm. Certainly if West Ham's performance against Southampton and a lot of their performance in the last few weeks are anything to go by. So the Manchester derby also having seen City get so exposed against Spurs, that mm. sort of um, feeling of invincibility with them has gone a bit. And United have... What you know, they have done well against City in recent years. You know that they, they are City are a team who give you half the pitch to play into if you if you're good enough to exploit it on the counter. And United have some players who who can do that. Adrian has got a stat for us. Yeah, away teams have won this fixture more than any other in the Premier League's mm. history. It's remarkable. Yeah, Man That's City, weird. Man United, mm. twenty one away wins which is just mad really yeah three in a row I think in all competitions for for United at the Etihad it's it's bonkers really I think this could be close I really, really? do because yeah City City apart from you think about them at the Etihad this season against the better teams apart from the sort of 5-0 spanking of Arsenal earlier on in the season they, they've you know they've been tight games and and United have you know they're, they're clearly not going to be intimidated by going there so yeah no, I think this would be, be interesting I mean anyone that saw the game at Old Trafford would find it unthinkable mm. that Manchester United could get anything other than a 3-0 defeat here but because it was so one-sided but but United are a funny team and they, they always seem to score away from home Manchester United even when they're not playing that well they always seem to nick a goal so yeah I think this is going to be a, a real challenging uh, test for City how one-sided was it at Old Trafford? Well, the scoreline was 2-0, but City set a new Premier League record for passes completed. United's players also had more shots on their own goal than they did on City's goal, which is unusual. Uh, Pep Guardiola didn't even feel the need to make any substitutions. Hmm. C- can I ask you a question, you guys? Just I want to I put you into the shoes of Pep Guardiola here over team selection, right? The two top scorers at Man City this season are Raheem Sterling and, and Riyad Mahrez. OK, they've scored a few penalties, but they are the top scorers. 
Neither man has ever scored against Manchester United. It's 18 matches now for Raheem Sterling. It's 11 for Riyad Mahrez. Would that factor into your team selection if you were Pep Guardiola or not? I I don't I don't think massively. I, I, I feel like those must be more quirks than anything else. I mean, if you had a player who consistently didn't score in, against any of the better teams, you might... And, and I know Sterling has a bad record against Liverpool, doesn't he? He's never scored against them either. Um, I think that's right. Or certainly he's never done anything at Anfield. Um, I, no, I, I think if, if they're the two kind of in form... In, if you think they're sufficiently in form, I wouldn't be dissuaded by a bad record against an individual club. That feels too too much of a quirk. No, I, I agree. I agree. But it. But once you're made aware of the stat, then you're like... Oh. You can't unknow it, yeah. <laughs> I, I can picture the, the precise facial expression that Pep Guardiola would make if this was put to him in a, a pre-match or post-match interview. I suspect it's the sort of thing that he, he probably doesn't pay too much attention to. But it, it is a remarkable quirk. And I, it's one of those things that the longer it goes on, the more it becomes a thing. Um, so I'm sure the players themselves will be aware of it, if if not perhaps the manager. Mm. Should um, West Ham have uh, David Moyes back at home with COVID then when they go to Anfield? Because similarly, he's never won at Anfield as a visiting manager in 17 previous visits. Is that just a quirk as well? Mm, I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, if David Moyes had a remarkable record yeah. as a visiting <laughs> manager at all the other big clubs, then maybe yes. But as we know all too well, he does all not. Right. So this is very much par for the course. West Ham actually beat Liverpool in the reverse fixture back in November. They were the first team actually to defeat Klopp's side in, in the league. They were 25 games unbeaten at that point. Kurt Zuma controversies. Kurt Zuma scoring the winner that day. Uh, Charlie didn't feel much optimism for their chances of doing the double. So is it Liverpool potentially moving a bit closer to Man City this weekend, do you think? I think so, yeah. I mean, they're in great nick. A bit of a juggernaut at the moment, aren't they? The the forward players are in are in wonderful form. Luis Diaz just... just Has a player ever settled into a new country, a new club, any, any better, any faster than Luis Diaz? I mean, it's quite remarkable, really. Um, you know, he's, he's getting into so many good positions to shoot. His dribbling's been unbelievable. He's yeah, just everything about him makes you feel as if he's been here for a year. So he's he's in great nick as is Mo Salah. West Ham are a bit flat, aren't they? So you know, Antonio's sort of searching for a bit of form. Jared Bowen's dried up a little bit. So no, I, I think this is this is a match Liverpool will, will identify as one that that. That they need to win, obviously, mm. but they won't want to extend themselves too much because they got Inter Milan, haven't they? Yeah, around the I th- corner. I think they'll be all right. Inter once again goalless. Uh, I think it's. I think that's four games in a row now they have failed to score in. Inter already Liverpool with a healthy lead from the the, the clash at San Siro. Just wanted to ask uh, Adrian from your playing days: Did a player ever do a no look pass to you? And if so, what was your reaction? <laughs> what would the reaction of given what was it? Sort of six of his seven passes the other night were mm-hmm. were, were no look <laughs> affairs. I do. Yeah, I do. I like a no look pass. It's just yeah, pure but, cockiness. Pure cockiness, isn't you, it? And yeah, you've got to choose your moments, though. If you're yeah. doing a no look pass for every pass, I mean. Oh no, no, no! You can't be doing it every single time. That's just <laughs> that's just taking the piss, yeah. isn't it? Basically, right. So, you, if if I were to do six yeah. no look passes out of seven, mm. I would expect to be put 
into the front row of the supporters the next time I got the ball. I would expect to get absolutely clattered mm. and I'd, you'd have to take it on the chin, wouldn't you? So, oh, yeah. yeah, it's 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 a bit too cocky. But Who, Adrian, kind of, of that of that Arsenal mid-90s group, who would have been the most likely <laughs> to have done? I mean, we can imagine it would have been the least likely, but who would have been most likely? I mean, would Ian yeah. Wright have had the, no, would he have no. had the cockiness? It would have been Merson. Right. Um, yeah, Paul sure. Merson. Yeah, he, he he had the most flair. We weren't a team full of flair. I mean, Dennis Bergkamp was was a half decent player, but he he was kind of quite straight in his brilliance or clinical in his craft. In his, in his craft. Yeah. He was very serious yeah. about his skill. Hmm. Um, I think the no look pass is frivolous. And that is a little bit merse. <laughs> well, I should mention that I completely made those numbers up, but it was a it, it was a remarkable frequency with which he, you know, will be looking one way and pulling off some magic in totally the other. There you go. So essentially, Adrian's saying Liverpool are going to win and Man City are going to drop points. Tom and Charlie, before we move on to the Intertotally Cup, your view? Yeah, I think Liverpool should win relatively comfortably against West Ham. And yeah, I, I can see the, 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 the Manchester derby being quite close in the sense that, you know, as we know, United are sort of struggling to find uh, a playing identity and actually coming up against a team who will just deprive them of the ball but leave them space to attack might work well. We've seen that from United under a succession of managers now that they are happier when they can just play as a counter-attacking team. And it reminds me a little bit of the way that England used to go into major tournaments and you'd look at them just stinking out the group phase uh, against countries who you knew they should be beating comfortably because uh, the teams they were playing just sat deep and gave them the ball and they didn't know what to do. And then as soon as they, they came across someone half-decent, you know, an Argentina or a Portugal, you saw what they could do because there was space to play in. And I think there are elements of that with United. And I, yeah, I, I, I can see it being close. I'm not sure I necessarily back United to... To pick up a win, but then given their, you know, given their form they've had in recent seasons, it wouldn't be a massive surprise if they did. Hmm. It's a slightly different interpretation of England's recent uh, encounters with big nations at the tournaments. Oh no, no, I'm, I'm, go- I'm going back to like the good old days when England mm. never stood a chance of winning anything. This is this is not a Gareth Southgate observation. I'm talking about your Euro 2004s, your World Cup 2006s. World Cup 2006, very much in that process. Oh, okay, yeah. all right then. Yeah, World Cup to 2010. I mean, I could go on. <laughs> Euro 2012. <laughs> Charlie, yeah, I think I think Liverpool will win, and then I think uh, Spurs are probably the prototype to follow here for United with the way they dealt with City at the Etihad. But I, I think City, knowing Guardiola, he will also have learnt from that. And while United will push them, I think City will just about win this game. And just to answer Adrian, your earlier question: Has anyone ever settled so quickly? My mind went to Fabrizio Ravanelli, who scored a hat trick oh, on his debut for Borough and yeah. scored six in his first five in the Premier League. Oh, that's Cheapest. a good call. That is mm. a good call. Yeah. Very last thing on on this: Jared Bowen, if he plays in this game, he'll break uh, Steve Potts's record for the most Premier League matches in succession. It'll be seventy-eight wow. Premier League matches in a wow. row for Steve Potts. Wow. Yeah. For for Jared Bowen, I mean. If you cast your mind back, when, when David Moyes signed Jared Bowen, he was quite disparaging. He, he was giving very strong signals that, that he wasn't somebody that he had recruited. It was the club that had recruited him. And it took a while to actually put him into the team. But once he got into the side, basically he's just stayed there and he's never got Well, you can, you can actually date West Ham's current sort of resurgence back to that January transfer yeah. window. Because I yeah, think yeah. Jared Bowen, and was it Thomas Suchek came yeah, in in the same yeah. month? And then by the end of the season, they, they were a different team. Mm, indeed. Never thought we'd live to see the day when Steve Potts' record went. But 
Here we are. There it is. <laughs> Very good. Well, that and other delights possibly in store this weekend. Next up, though, it's Intertotally Time. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Game five, listener, of this year's Intertotally Cup. It's a tough one uh, this season, but of course there are no easy games in the Intertotally. Uh, so far, surviving a brutal first round, we've had uh, Duncan Alexander, Flo Lloyd-Hughes, Benji Lanyardo, and Dom Fifield. Let's welcome our next two battlers for a place in the quarterfinals. If you really wanna fall to your five and your back against the wall and a bunch of niggas need you to go away. Still going bad on them anyway. Saw you last night, but did it all day. Up first. He's a professional Frenchman who's never short of an opinion and is yet to turn down a single media appearance. All the way from Paris via Enfield, it's Julien Laurent. Wow, Jules really milking. Uh, that audience, and rightly so. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Jules, quarter-finalist in 2020, semi-finalist in 2021, third-place medalist in our last edition of the Intertotally, just missing out on the final. Who who beat you in the semi, Jules? Benji, I think it was, somehow. I still don't right. know how that happened. But hey, miracles happen, you know, in this game now and again. Well, I think I'm right in saying, checks notes, that if you get through this... You'll be up against Benji again. What a wow. what a chance for revanche. Revanche. Revanche, even. Or, you know, whatever you want to take. All right. <laughs> but first, you've got to get through this round. So let's meet the person you're up against. And his opponent. He's a commentator, a dog walker, a podcast host, and a wrestling fan. He is the Barkston Rattlesnake, Matt Davis Adams. Matt, strong, strong entrance music. Yeah, uh, for the uninitiated, that is Stone Cold Steve Austin, one of the uh, greatest professional wrestlers of all time. That's his, his entrance music. Uh, at Clack Hanif, long-time listener, big into Totally Stan. Put some pressure on me on Twitter to use a wrestler's entrance music. So I thought that'll strike fear into the heart of my opponent. Well, and um, from the looks of the Zoom, it has, oh, yeah. 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 All over the shop. All right, Matt. Uh, how are you feeling? You, you Last couple of years, you've been eliminated by that Michael Cox both times. Yeah, I have. And I'm glad you pointed that out, James, because mm. th- there's a narrative that's been driven in large part by you, actually, what? about me not being very good at the quiz, which kind of ignores the fact that I put Rory Smith out last year and, and have been knocked out by the two-time champion on both occasions. So, yeah, yeah, let's see how we get on today. All right, you're up against the third-place finisher from last time around. Of course, whoever does get through wins £10 for the charity of their choice, with Paddy Power putting that money on a bet of your choice. Uh, and uh, the winnings, of course, going to the charity. What, what, what charity do you want to go for, Jules? Uh, Dementia UK, please. Okay. And what will your wager be? My wager is Monaco to win away at the Velodrome in Marseille on Sunday night. Very nice. Uh, Matt, what's your charity? Uh, my charity is Grantham Food Bank, which is my local one and a division of Trussell Trust. Okay. And your bet? Uh, my bet is for this Saturday, Jesse Marsh to get off to a winning start, Leeds to win at Leicester in the early kickoff. Crikey. Excellent stuff. Very good. Let's see who gets off to a winning start in this game of Intertotally. Julian, you're up first. Question one. Who was the first Italian to manage in the Premier League? 
Listeners have already Gianluca got their hand up. Gianluca Vialli is correct. Question two. When Ashley Cole moved from Arsenal to Chelsea, which player went in the opposite direction? La Sanadiara. No. no, 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 no. Sorry, 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 sorry. William well, Gallas. William Gallas is correct. But uh, too late. Although, although La Sanadiara was part of the deal as well for five million. We're not. Throw yeah, that open to the adjudication <laughs> panel, which is Matt Davis Adams as our Chelsea expert. What do you think, Matt? No chance. No what? Chance. Apparently, <laughs> apparently not. I mean, so uh, question the three, Jules. Who is the only Mexican player to have a Premier League winners' medal? Chicharito is correct. A.K.A. Javier Hernandez. Question four. Which player finished top scorer at the recent Africa Cup of Nations? Vincent Aboubacar. Is correct. A very solid three out of four so far. Here comes question five. Who is the next name on this list? Ronaldo, Miroslav Klose, Thomas Muller, James Rodriguez and... And Antoine Griezmann? I'm afraid not. It's Harry Kane. They are the last five World Cup Golden Boot winners. Oh, I mm. thought Griezmann was the World Cup No, winner. Harry Harry Kane. Yeah, three out of five. What do you, what do you think? Is uh, it going to be enough? Four out of five, really. But, you know, I give, I give, I mean, Matt needs a head start, so I give him that point. All <laughs> oh, right. Bold this words as Matt prepares for his first question, which Matt is... Question one. Jesse Marsh is the third American to manage in the Premier League. Name the other two. Bob Bradley. Oh, I'm struggling with the other one. I've got to, got to be honest. American manager. Um, no, I don't know, I'm afraid. It's David Wagner. David oh, Wagner. come on. Uh, yeah. Yes, Matt. He's an American international. Yeah, all right. I mean, for clarity, listener, the original question there was name one of the oh, Americans my... to previously manage, which I did instantly. So, I right. mean, I'll leave it up to you. Who's the real winner? <laughs> <laughs> question two, Matt. When Andy Cole moved from Newcastle to Manchester United, which player went in the opposite direction? Keith Gillespie. Is correct. You need two more to tie, Jules, and force a tiebreaker. Question three. Who is the only Bulgarian player to have a Premier League winner's medal? Dimitar Berbatov. Is correct. Two out of three. This to tie Julian Laurence. Who was named player of the tournament at the recent Africa Cup of Nations? Mm. Uh, I don't know the answer to this so I will have a guess and I will say Kalidou Koulibaly I'm afraid not Matt it was Sadio Mane <laughs> mm. question five then this is key who is the next name on this list Oliver Kahn Zinedine Zidane Diego Forlan Lionel Messi and who Oliver Kahn, Zinedine Zidane, Diego Forlan, 
Lionel Messi and Hmm. Okay. Um Can you just give me them one more time, please? Oh sure. my god, how many times? Like what <laughs> was this? Like uh Oliver Kahn, mm. Zinedine Zidane, Diego Forlan, Leona Messi, and then who? I think you know what the connection is. You're just trying to remember who the next person is. I don't. Is. I honestly don't oh, know really? what the connection is. That's the problem. Forlan is the one that's really thrown. Yeah, me that's here. a curveball. And Jules nodding away happily is not gonna help either. No. I just wonder if I, you know how long until the day we have for this, you know? Um, is it like Got the, no plans, the, yeah. the player of the tournament <laughs> at the World Cup, I think? So who would it have been at the last World Cup? Luka Modric? Oh, my word. Pulled that one out of the fire. <laughs> oh, but he had half an hour. Time, yeah, this is time oh. winding down. Jules, you leapt at your answers. I have to feel if you'd taken yeah. a little bit more time than maybe you would have been. Nah, this is the quiz. You don't have like all the lifetime to answer. Reflections of last year's quiz here, Jules, to be honest. I mean, there's, there's a, a good way to win and a bad way to win. People know. People. Nobody's know. won yet, though, listener, because People we're now three versus three. We're on to our tiebreaker question. The first time we've gone to a tiebreaker in this year's tournament, both Jules and Matt will try and... Text me the answer first to the following question. Leonardo Bonucci became the oldest player to score in a European Championship final when he equalised against England last summer. How old was he in years and days? Nearest answer takes you through. Total guess from me. No idea. There you go. Matt's in. Just waiting for Jules's. Come on, Jules, we haven't got all day. <laughs> the tables have turned. <laughs> exactly. There you go. <laughs> all right, listener, the answers are in. Let's have a look. Matt says 38 years, 165 days. Jules says 34 years and six months. The answer, 34 years and 71 days. Jules, you're going to the oh. quarterfinals. Get in! There's a justice in this world. <laughs> I was about to say, well done, Jules. That was a really good guess. But you know what? Benji, I hope you're stuffing, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I do love you. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, 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 I'm sorry to have knocked out um, a good friend and a good contenders. Although that's how many times now he loses in the first round? <laughs> Two out of three to the both 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 times to the eventual champion. So so let's see how you get on against Benji, and then you know if you ever get drawn against Coxie, then then you know I'll be interested. I'll be an interested uh, spectator. Let's put it that way. But no, best of luck for the rest of the tournament. Yeah, Matt, you're now uh, rooting for Jules to keep your your record of only getting beaten by the champion alive, of course. But a, a valiant effort, and you came so close, so close that that Modric answer. Just four years. Mm. Anyway, we look look forward to look forward to speaking to you soon on the pod in a nod nod quiz answering a role. But Jules, you'll go through and you'll be facing Benji in the next round. Oh, oh my word! Oh my word! Zutalo, Julien, you're through to the next round of Le Coupe de Inter totally. 
And if, like Jules, you think that Monaco will win away at Marseille this weekend, you'll find it priced at 21 to 10 at paddypower.com and on the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only, and please gamble responsibly. That was dramatic. Not as dramatic, though, listener, as watching Tom Williams's face while all that was unfolding, answering, by the looks of it, Tom, was it five out of five on Jules's questions? Yeah, nine out of ten overall. I mean, it just shows when the when the when the pressure that? when the pressure's not on. I'm like the Asafa Powell of the intertotally quiz in the in your sort of you know your 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 Zurich your and Jamaican Oslo, tribe. your Os, your Ostrava meets. I'm absolutely smashing it. And then when right. you know when the lights go down at the hundred meters final in the Olympics, I'm nowhere to be found. Adrian, you did pretty well as well. Yeah, better better than I did for real as well. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's, it's frustrating. So, I'm still. I'll, st- I'll always have nightmares about Stuart Pearce. That's the question that got away. Really, yeah, yeah disappointing. Yeah. Of course, all this is still to come for you, uh, Charlie. When, when's your big game? Must be soon. It must um, be. Just going to. But I'm trying out. not to think too much about. It. I'm just sort of living in the moment, taking each prep day as it comes. Right, you're up against James Horncastle. Right. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's going to be spicy. I think so. <laughs> a lot of. I mean, listen, a lot of people have. Charlie Eccleshire down as... I mean, he's a quizzer with pedigree. It's a tough yeah. draw, that, I think, for Horncastle. Uh, Charlie, potentially a dark horse for this year's Enter Totally. That's what they're saying, Charlie. L- listen, that's for others to say. It's not... <laughs> all, all I can do is, is my best, so all right, we'll see. Well, Monday, it's going to be Rory Smith against Lindsay Hooper, and then potentially either Thursday, Charlie, it's you against the Horn... Or the following Monday, uh, the other first round tie out there is, of course, that uh, Daniel Story, Michael Cox affair. Anyway, lots to look forward to. We're the back on Monday. The small matter of. The small matter <laughs> of. We're back on Monday with, with that and much more. Uh, so do join us then. For now, many thanks to Lee Wingate and Adam Crafton and to Tom and uh, Adrian and Charlie and producer Charlie and you listener have a great weekend everyone get well soon Adrian and we'll speak to you Monday you've been listening to the Totally Football Show part of the Athletic Podcast Network listen ad free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.